listening to The Adjacent Self, brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego. We're your hosts, Kendra and Libby, and we're going to help you explore how to step into the best version of you. Thanks for being here. Hello, Kendra. Hi, Libby. How are you? I am good. That's yeah. Good. You got a big old smile. <laughs> I, on your face. I do have a big old smile. How are you? I'm great. Election's over. Yes. We can start to focus on the real work. Yes. Super excited. That's great. We have the lovely and beautiful Stephanie Eicherman here with us today. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi. I'm good. That's I'm good. also glad the election's over. <laughs> we could all yes. breathe easy. <laughs> I know. It's like such a wave of relief. Honestly. <laughs> So Stephanie is a good friend of ours, and she also graduated from the Master's in Leadership Studies program from USD, um, and she's a member of the CLA, so she comes and works with us sometimes, and she comes to events, um, and she works currently as the lead tech support analyst for USD's help desk, um, so she's got a tech background, which I think is really fun for today's episode. Yes. We are talking today about finding your voice, um, self-empowerment speaking up, having those tough conversations. So Stephanie, as you know, we always start with a deep breath. So we're just going to close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. Please don't. And we'll just <laughs> take a deep breath in and exhale. Get us settled. Oh man, that felt real good. That felt great. I needed that. Yeah. So yeah, Stephanie, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and what brought you here, we would love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. My journey in sort of finding my voice has been lifelong. Um, when I was a little girl, I was super, super shy, like debilitatingly shy. Um, I was terrified of talking to adults. Uh, I wouldn't share in class. I wouldn't like read if we were doing reading aloud or anything like that. And it was so bad that in second grade, my mom actually put me in contact with the school psychologist. And she worked with me for a few weeks, overcoming my fears of talking to adults. So having done that, I, I did get over a lot of my fears and my shyness. But I've still been, you know, kind of quiet. Are you guys familiar with the Enneagram personality test? Yes. We love the Enneagram here. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Me too. Um, so I am a type nine on the okay. um, Enneagram scale or whatever. Uh, type nine is the peacemaker. So basically what that means is I am more conflict avoidant. I have tendencies to be conflict avoidant. I don't like rocking the boat. So in my relationships, I'm more of a mediator and I want everyone to get along. However, a lot of that manifests in me not being able to speak up or stand up for myself or use my voice. It's just something that's really challenging for me. So over the past few years, being involved in Souls and the Conscious Leadership Academy, I've been able to practice finding my voice and using it. And that has been just like super instrumental in this journey. I've made a lot of great friends and role models who have helped me and encouraged me to share and um, be more opinionated and speak up. So it's something I'm still working on. I'm definitely a work in progress. But yeah, that's sort of where I'm at right now. 
I love it. Yeah. Just, you mentioned souls and I want to just say what that is for people who aren't familiar with the leadership program at USD. Um, So that's the school of education and leadership studies and it's S O L E S. So we call it souls, which um, has come to be like a whole being in itself, right? It's kind of got its own language and all these. So I I know sometimes that with our, our souls and language, we tend to leave people out. Um, So we try to pick up along the way. We say something that is maybe a little bit leadershipy to try to bring it down. So Stephanie, I mentioned before you work in the tech field, mm-hmm. um, which you have mentioned is primarily, you know, a male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have some learning and some experiences from that. So what would you say you have learned from that experience? Yeah. So I've been in tech for almost 10 years now. I have been in like a more customer support role. So it's a little bit different than if I was like a programmer or an engineer or something like that. But there's still a bit of a learning curve when you are in the tech industry, especially as a woman in my experience. So when I first started at USD, which was almost seven years ago now, I picked up the job really quickly and I was a fast learner and I was doing really, really well, but I wasn't getting like the recognition or the praise or I guess you could say like the rewards that I wanted, like a few of my male colleagues were getting promotions and stuff like that. And I just wasn't seeing that happening for myself. And it was really frustrating. So it took me probably about three years to finally learn and realize that if I want a promotion or a different job title or different responsibilities, or if I want to be involved in a project, I have to ask for that because it's not going to get handed to me. So I was sort of waiting for them to notice what I was doing and that I deserved, you know, a pay raise or whatever. And that wasn't going to happen. So I really had to advocate for myself and sort of go out on a limb and say, hey, I've been doing all of this work and I've been doing X, Y, and Z. I really need a promotion. And then it's also come into play in communication styles. I've noticed like in meetings and stuff, The way women and men communicate are very different in like the language that we use. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn how to be a little bit more like straightforward and direct in communicating because my male colleagues wouldn't pick up on subtle things like tone or like subtext. They wouldn't, they're not very good at like reading between the lines. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that all men are that way, but that's how my colleagues are. So I had to sort of learn to just be direct and say what I mean to say. And that's been really helpful in my work relationships and getting to where I am. And it's really, I think, a good skill to have and to learn. Yeah, I think I totally agree with that. And you were talking about, you know, asking for what you need, Mm -hmm. um, asking for a pay raise or a promotion. Um, How do you prepare yourself for a conversation like that? I really have to listen to my body. So when I'm in a situation where I want to share and I know that I should speak up, but it's hard, immediately like my heart starts pounding and my hands get all sweaty and clammy. And I sort of like know that I'm gearing up to share. And my knee-jerk reaction is and always has been to just sort of suppress it and be like, you know, someone else will say it or, you know, it'll come up a different time. I don't need to share like Mm-hmm. That's not necessary. And then I get this little self-deprecating voice in the back of my head that's like, 
well, what you have to say doesn't really matter. Like no one really wants to hear it anyways. So why put yourself out there? Why share? So I have to like actively learn to push back against myself and say, no, the fact that my body is reacting this way, the fact that I feel this way means that what I do have to say is important and it will add value to the conversation Mm -hmm. because people can't read my mind. They don't know what I'm thinking. I need to you know, verbally express myself. So it's sort of in that moment when I know that I need to speak up and then sort of pep my, like pep pep talk myself up, breathe. I do a lot of breathing through it, through the nervousness, Uh, rehearse it a few times in my head and then I'm able to finally share. And yeah, it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) I think those are like really good tips though. I, I think for people like for me, my Enneagram is an eight, so I'm a challenger. So I'm usually the first person to want to say something or to take up, like I know I'll take up space in the room. And so for those people who want to take up space, who want to advocate for themselves, like it sounds like you do, to take a deep breath. Remember that what you have to say is important. Like those things are so necessary to have that courage to speak up and advocate for self. Mm-hmm. Otherwise... I know like for the times that this has happened to me, like I will sit there and just mule over the thing I should have said in the meeting like hours later. Yeah, exactly. It it sucks because you're like, I could have contributed something that really would have added value to this conversation. Yeah, because the moment will pass by so, so quick. Mm -hmm. And then it's like whatever whatever I was going to say is totally not relevant in like two minutes. Right. So I really have to push myself to jump in there or else, you know, it's just not going to happen. You know, it makes me think too from, so I'm always like a very dominant personality in any situation that I'm in. I'm like the first to talk, but probably talks the most. And, you know, I had to learn this like huge lesson um, when we were in school to slow down and to give space for other people to speak. Um, and really learn that me running through like a bull in a china shop allowed <laughs> didn't allow people to have space to share and to mm-hmm. talk and to give me perspective on things that I would not have otherwise seen or heard or like thought of on my own. And so I think for people like me, it's it's really important to learn to pause and wait and think and like, I always ask, you know, is there anybody who disagrees or is there anybody who has a differing opinion? Is there anybody who wants to share and kind of giving that extra space Mm -hmm. to people who haven't spoken up yet to make sure that they do share? Mm -hmm. Because I I mean, and I don't know, maybe you can tell me, like, I would imagine that you've probably been validated in the times that you have shared what you were thinking that people want to hear what you have to say Mm -hmm. and they are actually really interested um, in the value that you bring to the group. And so I think that we have to remember that everybody can bring value and give that space for them. Yeah. Yeah. And when I am in a group with someone like you, who is more dominant and tends to be the talker, the sharer, people like you who are aware of it and like purposefully make space for other people to share, like that's amazing. That means the world to people like me. But in like my job, for instance, a male-dominated industry where they're not as self-aware, I don't get the opportunity for someone to give me that space. So that's when it's really challenging for me to have to insert myself in there and be like, 
okay, no one's going to make the space for me. So I, I just have to say it or else it won't get said. Yeah, yeah. totally. So what does it look like for you when you want to speak out for something important? Like, what does that feel like if you're in a meeting and you're like, I know this needs to be shared. Otherwise, you know, whatever we're working on might not get the full uh, attention that it needs or the full work that it needs or something. What does that feel like for you? Yeah. So I kind of touched on it earlier, but like my heart will start pounding and my hands get all clammy and cold. And then I sort of just feel like this. I don't know if I get flushed. Like, I don't know if people can tell that I'm flushed, but I feel like coming up from my, like my core up to my head, like it feels hot. And it's in those moments when I know like, okay, this is, this is the time when you need to share. So just listening to myself and paying attention to those moments. I love that you have such a, a, the, the word that comes to mind for me is somatic. And I had to learn what this word meant, you know, couple years ago, but Mm -hmm. this bodily feeling very in touch with kind of how your body feels in the moment. Cause I think a lot of times when we have something that triggers us to take action. And so in this case, you're being triggered to speak. um, We're not really in touch with how that feels in our body. And so being able to describe and say, okay, I feel it in my hands. I feel my pulse quickening. I feel the heat coming up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a really good physical cue that you have that says, hey, I've actually got something that's of value to share. And if I don't share it, I'm going to regret it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people can really practice kind of getting in touch with noticing when you start to have maybe a clenched stomach or for me, I often get that like cold wash over my body where it's like those like cold tingles and I'm like, oh, something's going on. Um, And not kind of ignoring that feeling, but saying, hey, here, here's this feeling that I'm feeling Mm -hmm. like I need to sit up and pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a reason that we're feeling this way in our body. Like mm-hmm. it's not just happening for no reason. It's because yeah. we, we have something to say. Yeah. My reaction is in my stomach. Like it will clench. Like sometimes if it's something really important or something I really care about, I'll get a cramp, but like it's this fight or flight and like, no, I'm not physically fighting you, but I'm like fighting for the right to take up space within wherever I am for myself and the fight, you know, sometimes wins the flight, sometimes wins, but it's just crazy that like my stomach, that's where I, like, it could be your throat, it could be your, your hands or whatever, but mine, mine for me is my stomach. Like absolutely will tell me, all right, something important is about to happen for yeah. you. Pay attention. Yeah. That gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's absolutely fight or flight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like I spent like most of my life, flying when I should be fighting. Mm. Yeah. So So when you need to have like a really tough conversation with somebody, how do you get like gear up for that? How do you get yourself like prepared to go in and have that conversation? Yeah, this is really tough for me because I, I do tend to be conflict avoidant. If I have to have a hard conversation with someone like that I'm close to, I have a relationship with I err on the side of not, and I'll just be like, okay, well, whatever, you know, beef is going on between us, it'll get resolved. I don't need to address it. It's fine. So something that I've been working with in therapy um, with my therapist is reframing the word confrontation Mm. because that word terrifies me and it immediately, I'm just like, nope, I'm not going to do it. 
I'm not going to get confrontational. I can't. But reframing it to the words honest communication, because that takes away the negative connotation and sort of the risk associated with it. And it just really is like me communicating honestly what I'm thinking and what's in my heart. And it doesn't have to be like a confrontation or like a fight. So I reframe it. Um, And then something else that I've been working on is taking the pressure off of myself for when the person responds, Mm -hmm. because I know that it's not my responsibility and I can't control how the other person is going to respond or react to what I say. Um, And that's not my job to do that. So if I just take the pressure off myself and say, I'm just going to, you know, speak my truth to be really cliche about it. If I say what I'm feeling, that's all I need to do. Like that, that's my part in the conversation. And then them responding, they can respond however they want. And I can't, mm-hmm. you know, guess how they're going to respond. I'm not a mind reader. So I just have to kind of let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. And it's, it's not for you to have control over that person's reaction to what you said. You know, they're going to react how they want to. And it's not a reflection of you. Yeah. If, it's, if it's a conversation that you're having that's honest and open and meaningful to you, you know, it, it, I love how you said that, like, you have to let the chips fall where they may. You have to just leave it there. And if you can keep going, great. And if not, like... I would hope, I mean, at least for me, like there's a piece that I'll have that I'm not sitting with this anymore. And that's what, like, that's what I could walk away with. I don't know how it's for you guys, but yeah. Yeah. I know for me, like, I think like number one, having that conversation and saying, okay, like you might be upset, but I will feel much better once I know that like it's out in the open. Cause I think that holding things in and this could be from any like anything really, but like a lot of times holding things in really breeds that shame. And so when you're sitting there, like my boyfriend and I go over this all the time where I'm like, if there's something you need to talk about, like let's air it out. I don't care what you did. You know, if you messed up in some way or you did something dumb, like I want to hear about it because once it's out in the open, it's probably not going to feel as scary for you as it did when you're holding it in. Um, and then on the flip side of that, I always tell people, I don't care if I'm going to be mad. I don't care if like, I'm going to just like rant and rave for an hour about like whatever's happening, like be honest with me because then we can move forward. If I find out that you lied to me, that will like change the way I see you as a person. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you tell me something that I don't want to hear, then I can process that emotion and and say, okay, well, at least I respect you for being honest with me. Now we can move forward and we can repair our relationship or whatever, you know, and and go Mm -hmm. forward from there. Um, But that's always like my whole life, like this huge pet peeve of like, don't lie to me. I don't care if I'm going to be mad at you. I'll get over being mad. People get over that anger. Yeah. Um, But I won't really get over, I'll be less likely to get over you lying to me. Yeah. Definitely. Not that I'm saying you lied in the past or anything, but like, no, but I know what you mean. Like when you can tell that someone is um, like not necessarily hiding something, but if they're suppressing something that you know that they have on their mind, it can come across as a little bit dishonest. So it is important to be honest with people. And going back to what Kendra said about control, what I'm learning is that I am 
I like to say a recovering people pleaser. And what I've been learning recently is that my people pleasing behaviors is me trying to control how they see me mm-hmm. because I want to be like, you know, I want everyone to like me. Mm-hmm. So part of this whole journey is being able to relinquish that control and not care how people see me. Yeah, that's true. I so like, I so relate to that. My back to the Enneagram y'all, but my wing is a seven, which is the enthusiast. So like it's people pleasing for me in a different way. And where I want to be that person who's going to be the go-to good time person. That's going to make things like going to be fun. And I have to keep that, that ideal of myself in other people's minds and not like that I'm going through issues or I need time to myself or things like that. So I, for, so for me, like pleasing them is making sure that my, my reputation, I guess, in a sense is that, Oh, Kendra's always going to be there to make things light or Kendra's going to be there to make things fun. And it's like, these people are happy while well, I'm sitting here incredibly unhappy and I'm hold, they're holding control over like who I am rather than me holding the control. I feel like I'm going through therapy right now, but rather than me <laughs> holding control over myself and how I want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I think that's the thing is that a lot of times you think that you're not rocking the boat, but what you're actually doing is like making your own seats very tumultuous. Mm-hmm. and you're maybe smoothing things out for other people, but at what harm to yourself? Yeah. Inside, if you're like mentally, like a, like you're going crazy, you're like, Oh, I have so much like tension and conflict in my body and in myself and stuff. Like that's not a service to yourself. And, and it's gonna come out in some way around like to the people around you as well. Yeah. And that's like, that brings back something you said about like how with your boyfriend, you're like, I don't care. Like, it might make me mad, but I'd rather you tell me because we build this narrative within ourselves that is typically a lot worse than what reality actually is. And like, Mm -hmm. for instance, if I'm in a conflict with a friend because I, we hung out without that person or something. And there might have been a reason for it. I need to have a private conversation with someone else and they find out. And like the narrative I build up is like, then you start thinking like, oh my God, they're mad at me. They're not liking my social media. They're not texting me as much as they used to. We haven't talked in a while. Like all these things start building up, but really like the conversation that might need to be had could squash all that, like within five minutes. Mm -hmm. But we let this narrative build that like whoever I've offended is going to hate me like, yeah. <laughs> so much and like not really allow ourselves to have those needed conversations to come to like a resolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Steffi and I talked last night about the book Radical Candor, which is written by Kim Scott. And she in she has a TED talk as well, um, which she also I think is probably a faster way to get to the story. But she tells the story about how she was working as like a manager or boss of this company and she had a team of people underneath her and one of the members on her team was underperforming. Um, His work was just not up to par and what people were doing was going back and rewriting his work for him or covering up mistakes for him and nobody went to him and said, 
hey, you know, your work is, you need some growth here or you need some help here. Maybe can we train you? Nobody tried to like tell him that there was a problem Mm -hmm. because they thought they were doing him this service of protecting him. But what ended up happening is he ended up getting fired. Mm -hmm. And during his exit interview, he asked her, he was like, why did nobody tell me this? He was like, I trusted you. You were my boss. Like you were supposed to be looking out for my growth and my development. Like, why didn't you tell me that I was underperforming or that I was making mistakes? And I think when I heard that story, it made me really think about how there are times when you think that withholding the truth from somebody is like, or withholding, you know, these hard conversations from somebody is protecting them. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you're really actually withholding their growth and their development as well. Yeah. Sorry, just sitting over here just like, whoa. And just mind blown. I'm going to check that book out. That sounds like the perfect book for me and people like me. Yeah. I think it's those managers that I have that are like, I'm going to tell you how you're messing up and then help you fix it that I respect the most. Yeah. I honestly, like no shade, but I haven't had that. No? No. And now I'm like, what am, and I mean, this isn't a, a thing. Um, a part of the reason why I left my former job and part of the reason I became a leadership student is because I didn't have a leader who would tell me like, this is where I think you could be better so that you can be promoted or you can get the raise. Yeah. And it was really just like, yeah, you messed up, just fix it and keep going about your business. And part of that, I think was like, I didn't advocate for myself in that where I, I could have asked like, Hey, I just want to know like why I was passed over. That absolutely could have been a conversation I could have initiated and I didn't, but they're the ha- side, like you're a supervisor or manager for a reason. And that's, I feel like that should be part of your role. And like thinking back and looking at it now, I had, I'd never had performance review. I never in like over seven years of work. And so, like, what, like, I would have loved to Sheryl Sandberg to say, mm-hmm. like, we think you're really great in this area, but we really want to see you improve here. So, yeah. I mean, I've had, I think both sides of the coin, I've had the manager. I can think of one, I was working in a restaurant and she was the kind of manager that you're like slightly afraid of um, because she's just on your back, like all day long. Do this right. Like you didn't roll the silverware right. And I mean, it's like really minor things, but I was like 16 at the time. And so it was the first manager that I had that was like, I really want you to be great. And at the end of the summer, she came to me and she was like, next year, I'm going to train you to be a bartender because I think that you really can be great in this, you know, food service industry. And, and I I dawned on me that she was preparing me for that next step Mm -hmm. to learn how to be a bartender. Um, sadly the restaurant closed down. I never got to learn how to be a bartender, (laughs) but but I respected her so much. And when I, I actually ran into her a couple summers later, so she lives in the small town that my mom's from. So a couple summers later, I had, I'd gone home and, um, I ran into her and I was like, are you like, is there, do you have any employment for me? Like, can I come and work for you again? Because I really respected having her as my boss. Mm -hmm. And I felt like she took the time out to train me and to teach me and to really care about how I showed up and, and, you know, what I was doing. Yeah. Getting that feedback from people is so important, Mm -hmm. but to Kendra's point, it's really hard to ask for that feedback yourself. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you don't even think to do it. 
yeah like, if it's not offered I never really thought about it till towards the end and I was like this is this is I mean part of this I blame souls because it was a year <laughs> after I started my master's but I was like this is not so this is something I need and I'm not getting and why have I not getting gotten it yeah and when I kind of brought it up it was pushed to the side because it wasn't important for that person at that time and that's fine like there's other things going on but it was just never a conversation revisited I do think that that lends to the conversation of the difference between management and leadership yeah and that leaders can be managers but not all managers are leaders yeah Um, And we really need managers who are trained to be leaders so that they can not only, you know, train and and grow and develop the upcoming workforce, but also like not demoralize, demean and damage Mm -hmm. the upcoming workforce as well. Um, Because I think I'm sure as many of us have had a good manager, I've also had a really bad one too. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So Stephanie, when you're really nervous about sharing something, um, do you have any like tools or tips or tricks that you use to kind of help yourself find your voice and, and push past that fear barrier? Yes. So I think it really comes down to um, having self-compassion and instead of listening to that self-deprecating voice that says, don't share because what you have to say isn't important and it's scary and it'll be easier if you just be silent. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of listening to that voice, sort of saying to myself, um, no, you should share because it is important. And, you know, this is part of your growth. What you have to say is important and valuable and it is a safe space most of the time to share. So just sort of like talking myself through it and being very self-compassionate and reminding myself of why I'm feeling led to share in that moment. Yeah. So, okay. This makes me think of like when you don't share and you have all these feelings, you've talked yourself through all of this and then you ultimately still end up like holding it in. Um, What do you do afterwards? Do you have like, do you ever either go back and try to like have that conversation again, or do you like, like what do you do to kind of remedy that unrest within yourself? Yeah. I think in like the management world, they call it like parking lot conversations. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes if I'm in a group of people um, and I feel led to share, but I decide to just be silent and not share um, after the meeting or class or whatever is over, um, I sometimes will seek out like the few people that I feel are safe and then share it to them, you know, be like, oh, I was going to say this in the group, but I didn't get the opportunity X, Y, Z. So I will share with them. Um, That's a good case scenario. Mm -hmm. But more realistically, I probably do have the tendency to beat myself up a little bit and just say like, you didn't share again, you know, what's wrong with you? Um, and then just sort of dwell on it. Yeah. That's probably the more realistic version, but that's why I'm working on this whole journey of finding and using my voice. Yeah. And I think that we could have a whole podcast episode around self-forgiveness and Mm -hmm. not beating yourself up over the little things that, that, you know, you just get in your mind and like, burrow in yeah. <laughs> like late at night yeah. like why did I say this weird thing or yeah you know <laughs> it sounds like 
maybe this space you were in and, and the bigger space with the, the bigger group of people might not have been safe. But I love that you picked out finding safe people, finding safe colleagues that I have two or three that I can continue the conversation or pick up where I needed to speak up and still be able to have voice in that, in that way. I think that's so important to, to have those people. And it's hard to have, I think, well, for me, I worked by myself, so I didn't always have them, but if you are able to find those and keep them close, they're so needed for your work life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you so need them. Yeah. And the nice thing too, about having people that you sort of let in on these challenges and these struggles, like the few people that I do feel safe enough to share with, those people can also hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. So if we are in a group situation together and people are sharing, um, I can make eye contact with that person and they'll, you know, give me sort of like a little nudge to be like, I I know that you want to share right now and I can tell because of the face that you're making so you can share. Um, and having those people is just like so helpful and encouraging because sharing is scary. But if I feel like this person wants to hear what I want to say, mm-hmm. then I should share that with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge lesson for people um, who, especially people who are in like a work environment where they have, you know, a team that they're working with to really maybe try to talk to and befriend the more quieter people in your group Mm -hmm. and see, you know, what is it that's holding them back from speaking out and see if there are ways that you can help encourage them to share their perspective. Um, Because I think a lot of times we hear stories of people who are like, yeah, I always get talked over in the group meetings or I always kind of get pushed aside or I'll say something. And then 10 minutes later, you know, Joe will say it and everybody will take it up then, but they Mm -hmm. ignored it when I said it. Um, And so really kind of being aware that these things happen and then finding those people and saying like, how can I help you? How can I use my privilege to make room for you? Yeah, I think, and even just beyond the workspace, an example I have is over the summer um, after the incident with George Floyd and then Breonna Taylor and before the Ahmaud Aubrey, um, I was in like a place where I just like, I cried for a week and I've always grown up in a group of friends that is of mixed race. But, um, I had people who reached out on social media or via text and were just like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you. I hope you're doing okay. And like, that was great. And I'm sure their intentions were very good. And there are a couple like, how are you doing? But that those people weren't the people that I could have that conversation where I was like, I literally don't even know which way is up right now. Like, I feel like I don't belong in this country. Um, and this country is not made for me to be safe. And I have like two or three people where I could really have that honest conversation of like, have that honest conversation with of how I, I really was feeling and where I really was at because I knew that they would make this space for me to not be like, okay, I've only got 10 minutes to talk. They were like, I will sit with you on the phone. If you want to cry for an hour, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Like, this is what I'm here for as like one of your people. And I think that's so important to like, to have that and to also look out to be that person for somebody. Yes. 
I totally agree with you there. I think that yeah. that's the thing. Like we need more people who are willing to really put themselves on the line to be there for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And we all, I think, want to strive to be that for somebody else, but for something like holds us back from doing that mm-hmm. often. Um, and I think if we all just kind of pushed ourselves to say like, what can I sacrifice to be there for my friend, really be there for my friend mm-hmm. instead of just kind of putting on a show of like, I'm yeah. your friend. I'm here for you. Yeah. I love you. Bye. Cause it's so easy to like post on an Instagram post, like, Hey, I'm really sorry. And then keep going about your scrolling for the next 20 minutes. Like mm-hmm. that's such an easy thing. And I think that it has led us to, move away from empathy in a way because it's like this, there's this fake force empathy that we put out there to make ourselves seem like good people. Yeah. But when you really dive into it and you really can show up for somebody, I think it allows for the people who need to advocate for themselves or need to speak up and say what they, what's on their hearts to have that space, but allows you to learn how to be a better person and showing up and listening and, and supporting and being safe for Mm -hmm. others. I agree. Yeah. And I have a few friends who um, are really good at if they text me, they'll ask how I'm doing and then they'll say, but how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. Like, don't just say I'm good or I'm fine, but like actually tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we need to be prompted by our friends to be like, I know that you're going to say I'm good, but like, how are you really doing? Like, I'm here for you. I want to hear everything, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I think that oftentimes too, like I'm one of those who's like, I'm good. Everything's good. Mm. And I don't go into detail when like, especially right now, like I'm struggling, like I am on the struggle bus and I could use, you know, somebody to listen to me and talk to me and like, give me a different perspective. And, and I just don't open up to them. I'm just like, Oh, everything's great. Talk to you later. Bye. Um, when really I probably should be like, everything's not so great. You know, here's what's going on. Um, and I think that plays into too, like that fear of like, if I tell you what's going on, then you don't respond in the way that I like Stephanie, like what you were saying. Like if I try to think about how you're going to respond to it and try to put an emphasis on like how you're going to respond, then I hold myself back from saying anything because I don't want to be hurt by your lack of response or by the, you know, response that's not what I want to hear and that and I think that it's okay to not have the perfect response um a couple years ago when my cousin died and I shared that with my friends like they're like I just don't know what to say and I feel like people have lost sight that that's a fine response Mm -hmm. like we're not expecting you to speak magic words over our minds and our hearts and heal us we just need you to show up and be there. Yeah. You know, like, and it's totally fine to be like, I, I wish I could support you better. I just don't know what to say, but I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And that means a lot. It means so much. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes the best response is to just be honest and say, I'm still processing what you said. I don't really know how to respond right now. Um, but like you said, I'm here for you. And mm-hmm. when I figure it out, I will let you know. Yeah. I love that. Like, I think that that's something that I need to work on is, is telling somebody like, I'm still processing Mm -hmm. what, like what you said or what's going on or what's happening. I need a little bit of time to think through it. Um, especially through texting. I feel like people 
want an immediate response back to a text message or is if you if they say hey how are you you say like oh you respond quickly then they're like okay she's paying attention now she's going to correspond with me really quickly mm-hmm. but then if somebody says something and i'm like i don't know how to respond to this it might take me longer to write back and then they're like well like did you, what are you thinking like are you still there like why are you why are you silent all of a sudden and i'll panic i'm like yeah. i don't know what to say <laughs> i'm going to put my phone away cuz i really have no idea Instead, I probably should write back and be like, oh, just processing the information. Like, give me a couple minutes and, you know, let me think about it and I'll, I'll get back to you. Yeah. But I'm like afraid to like wait. I'm like, oh God, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like everybody's expecting something from me. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be cool if we all sort of normalized that in our relationships, mm-hmm. like not having to have a response right away or having the perfect response and just like being honest with each other. Yeah. When I think of how many conversations or like disagreements could have been solved if I had not knee-jerk reacted because I felt like I had to respond in the moment, probably would have saved me a lot of time on the phone or yes. coffee meeting. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So what are you, some ways that you practice consci- consciousness in your life, Stephanie? Yeah. So I'm a big journaler. Um, I really like writing and that's the way that I process probably the most, I don't want to say efficiently, but like the most um, successfully, I guess. Um, So journaling, especially if I am going through something and I'm having a lot of emotions, but I'm not really sure how to process uh, just writing everything down sort of like stream of consciousness Mm -hmm. um, can really help me gain a better perspective on what I'm going through. So I'm a huge journaler. And then um, sort of what I mentioned earlier, like listening to my body and the way that my somatic self is responding to things. um, That's really helpful in practicing consciousness and mindfulness. I love that. I love a good stream of consciousness session. Mm -hmm. You never really know like what's like, obviously you don't know what's going to come out, but then you're so surprised when you go back and look at it, you know, like 30 minutes later. Like, wow, I didn't know I was even in this place. All right, Kendra, you brought it up. What's a stream of consciousness session? (laughs) So a stream of consciousness session. So what I I like to do, what I tell like my coaching clients is to give themselves 15, 20 minutes. You can go longer if you feel, some people that's too long, but, um, and set some time aside be in a place of solitude, I think is best. And just let yourself write out whatever's coming to mind. And like, don't even think about it, just write it on the paper. And then let when it's done, like you can go back and revisit and kind of see what's going on. Some people don't want to and they're just like, I got it out, I'm going to throw it in the trash. It really depends on where you're at. But I love that session because it breeds creativity it breeds mindfulness and thoughtfulness. And I think those are, it's such a great practice to see if you're trying to move in a new direction, where you're sitting. It's just a really honest survey of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so private. Like no one ever has to read it. So you mm-hmm. can say whatever it is that you're feeling. Yeah. Um, you don't have to worry about anyone else. Just like it's just you and the piece of paper. And it's really good at just like getting stuff off your chest, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then Stephanie, as you know, we always ask our last question of the day. What are you currently reading? Um, So I'm reading Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Yes. Um, I started the book a few months ago, but it was a library book and my 
like loan period ran out. So I had to get back on the waiting list. So I'm finally, I finally have it back. Um, and I'm like halfway through and I just love it so much. I'm it's learning so, so much about um, South African culture stuff mm-hmm. like I had no idea about. It's just fascinating. And yeah. he's so hilarious. Yes. So hilarious. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being a part of our show today. We really yes. love talking with you and encourage you to keep speaking up using that voice, girl. Yes, we always love what you have to say. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. coming. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. Awesome. Good. Thank Yay. you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. New episodes drop every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To join the conversation and be part of the community, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at USDCLA or email us at theadjacentself at sandiego.edu. We can't wait to hear from you.